All right, there we go. A lot of excitement up in here, right? I don't know why I brought this up here. Let me put this down here. All right, there we go. All that excitement messed me up. All right, good morning once again. How are y'all doing today? Doing, uh, at least one person's doing good. All right, I hope the rest of you are doing well as, as well. I want to start us off this morning to maybe kind of wake us up a little bit. I'm going to take an informal poll, and I need everybody to participate. So here is the question. Here's the question. Do you like... Or let me, let me rephrase it. Uh, are you offended? No, that's not how I want to phrase it either. It's a simple, uh, it's a simple, um, simple poll, and yet I can't remember it. Raise your hand. There we go. If you don't like being called a liar. Like some of you like, uh, like oh, let me ask it again, because like, I, I didn't get full participation. Remember, raise your hand if you don't like being called a liar. All right, there we go. I think I maybe had 100% that time. Uh, that first, like, people were thinking it's a trick question or whatever. The reality is this. None of us like to be called liars. And when I was a kid, I, I asked Ashley how we said it. I, I, I remember something like this. Liar, liar, pants on fire, got him caught on a telephone wire. I, I don't know if that's how it went. My sisters are looking at each other like, we didn't say that. I don't know. That's the way I remember hearing it said. I don't know what the phrase means about a telephone wire, but I do know this. Nobody likes being called a liar. Uh, and, and sometimes guys would say, if I'm called a liar, typically we see that as them's fighting words. Like, you don't call me a liar. I don't want to be called a liar, and you probably don't either. And yet, in this text that we're looking at this morning, it calls us liars. Or it insinuates that we might be liars when we don't realize we are. So, so much for coming to church for a warm and fuzzy sermon. Let's look at what the text has to say about, could it be at times we are liars and we're not even aware that we are? We are walking through the New Testament together as a church family. And this week we find ourselves in the book of 1 John. So I encourage you, if you've got a Bible or a reading device of some sort, open your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. Um, again, we're walking through the New Testament together as a church family, um, and we are uh, doing different series as we get to different portions of the text. So today and next week, we'll be looking at 2 John. Uh, we're calling it Walking Out the Word. You'll see why we chose the word walk in just a moment. And you'll also see on the bottom of your sermon notes where we are going to be reading this next week. We'll be reading 1 John 4 and 5, and then 2 John and 3 John. The, both of those books only have one chapter apiece, so we're still only reading five chapters this week. I hope that you'll join us as we read through those together. But I want us to take a moment and look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And if you've got your um, sermon or your worship guide, there'll be sermon notes on the back that you can follow along with us. Here's what it says. John says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. And that him, of course, would be God. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the question I want to pose to us based on this text is, is it possible for us to know that we know God? Is it possible for us to know that we know God? And John says the answer is found in, 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 these, in these texts, in, this, in these verses. 
All too often, we can run across Christians that go, I, I just don't know, like, is it possible for me to know that I'm saved? And the answer is a resounding yes. And if we're not careful, we can become paralyzed by this question of, I'm just not sure. Like, am I saved? Am I not saved? Like, I saw them get baptized. Was my baptism legitimate? I, I just don't know. And we can end up becoming paralyzed if we're not careful. Perhaps you've heard of the uh, preacher, uh, Adrian Rogers. He was pastor years ago in, at Bellevue in, in Memphis. And here's what he said. Trying to live the Christian life while lacking assurance of your salvation is like driving a car with brakes on. It's impossible to drive a car with brakes on, right? Because you're constantly stopping or slowing down and you can't go. And he says that if we're constantly unsure of our salvation, then we end up like that guy who keeps his foot on the brake at all times. We just can't go. We end up paralyzed. And as followers of Jesus, God is calling us to take our foot off the brake and step on the gas and get going for his cause and for his sake. And so the reality is we can know that we know him and we can live out our faith as a result. And John's answer is found in verse 3. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So one of the ways that we know that we are saved, one way that we know that we know God is that we obey his commandments. We keep his word. So being a disciple necessitates that we obey God. Here at our church, you probably hear me say quite a bit that we want to be a disciple, we want to make disciples, and we want to be the church to the glory of God. And so there's this constant refrain of talking about being a disciple and making disciples. And the reality is this, that John says that one of the biggest tests of being a disciple or knowing that you're a disciple is if you obey God. So my question is this. What is it that should motivate us to be a disciple? What is it that motivates us to live out the life of an obedient disciple? The answer is actually given in the sermon title that I gave, Walking Out the Word in Love. But all too often, we want to make obedience to God about some kind of like guilt-driven kind of thing, when in reality, it should be motivated out of a love for God. So you'll see there on your notes. The first note I have is this, that love for God is the motivation for discipleship. The reason that we live out being a disciple should be not because someone tells us we have to, but rather because God's word says that we are to love him, and when we love him, we will obey him. Look down at verse 5. In, in verse 5, it says, whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. It says that if we keep God's word, if we obey God's word, if we live out what it means to be a disciple, it says that the love of God is perfected within us. Let's, let's look at that phrase for just a second. This, this phrase, love of God, that's found in verse 5. It could be talking about a couple different things. It could be talking about God's love for us. Because that's the love of God. Or it could be talking about our love for him because that's also a love of God. Well, the answer to this situation, based on the context of these verses, is when he says the love of God is being perfected in us when we obey God, it's talking about our love for God. And so John says that our love for God per 
um, is perfected as we obey God. What does the word perfected mean? A lot of times we think the word perfect means perfect, like 100% right all of the time, never fail, no issue whatsoever. And so you're going, all right, so if it says that the love of God is perfected in us whenever we obey God, does that mean I have a perfect kind of love for God where I love him perfectly? The answer is actually no. The word perfected in the Greek means to be made complete or to be full or to be mature. And so in other words, our love for God is matured our love for God is strengthened as we keep his word. So if you say you love God, that's awesome. And as we step out in obedience towards God, then our love is actually beginning to mature. It's beginning to strengthen as we obey and keep his word. Also, our love for God's word. Our love for God's word matures and strengthens our love for him. So it's kind of twofold. Whenever we obey God's word that's written in scripture, whenever we obey him, then our love for him is strengthened, it's matured, it's beginning to be perfected. And then whenever we love God's word, then that makes us want to obey God's word and therefore our love for him is strengthened all the more. And so a maturing love for God is what should propel us out to obey God. So verse five. The thing that motivates us to, love, to, to obey God should be our love for him. You see, whenever we know God in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, in all of his glory, whenever we look to God to see who he is in and of himself, whenever we look to him, that should cause us to want to obey him. As we are in awe of his, his worth, his value, his, his, his being. The starting point for our discipleship should be our delight in God and for his glory. So, anytime we glorify God, what we're doing is we're ascribing value and worth to him. Like, we're not giving it to him, it's his anyway. We're identifying that we agree that he is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all the songs we sing. He is worthy of all of our devotion. He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our love for him. So whenever we see God's glory, whenever we see his majesty, then that should propel us out into a life of obedience. Because if it's true that God is sovereign, that he is Lord, that he is in charge, that he is over it all, that he's calling all the shots, that he is worth more than gold, he is worth more than anything we could describe, then should not we be motivated by his value and his worth that he desires a relationship with us that in an act of, obe uh, of love we would live out a life of obedience towards him. So, the starting point for our discipleship is our delight in and delight for his glory. Perhaps you've heard of the old married couple, uh, although I've been married now 21 years, so when I say 30 years, that doesn't sound like an old married couple to me. That's a young couple. But think of the couple that's been married for 30 years, and the wife looks over to the husband, and she just says, could you not just once tell me, maybe even weekly or something, tell me that you love me? And his response to her is, I told you on our wedding day that I loved you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. That's not the key to a happy marriage. Like whenever you're married, you should tell your spouse that you love him or her. And not just with your words, but also with your very life. All too often, 
we're like that guy towards God. Well, God, you know, 30 years ago when I got in the baptistry water and I got baptized, I told you then I loved you. And if anything changes, God, I'll let you know. No, our devotion towards Christ should be as strong as I believe my boys are wanting to follow Jesus. It should pale in comparison when they progress in their faith to love him more and more and more each day. Does that make sense? We ought not treat our relationship with God as if we are taking his love for us for granted, but rather our love for him should be active, and therefore that is what motivates us to a life of discipleship. So whenever I say that our love for God is what should motivate us for discipleship, I have one question for you to ask yourself. And, and I'd rather, I know that the... Uh, one way to ask an effective question is to not make it a yes-no, like make it more open-ended. So maybe I should have crafted the question a little bit different, but I would ask you not simply to answer yes and no to this question. I would ask you to evaluate your life and try to help yourself see in what ways would I answer yes or in what ways would I say no. And so here's the question. I would like for you to ask yourself, do I love God? If love for God, love of God, is the motivation for discipleship, then we have to start off in this point and ask ourselves, do I love God? Because if we love God, then we're going to see in his word that we're going to obey him. If we're struggling with that, then maybe instead of just trying to discipline ourselves more and more, we just need to get back to our first love. We need to focus on who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf, that we would be thankful for his death, his burial, his resurrection, for the forgiveness of our sins, that we would be thankful for just that next breath that he's given to us, how he's blessed us with so much, that he is worthy of our worship and our praise. Do I love God? Let me move to the second point in the sermon outline. Here it is. Love for God moves us to obey his word. If discipleship is motivated by love, then we have to start by asking ourselves the question, do I love God? And then if I say yes to that, then I need to realize that because of my love for God, that should move me to obey his word. The same thing is said twice, or actually three times here, but twice I want to point out. Look in verse 3, and then we'll look at verse 5. He says that we know that we love him, or sorry, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So the phrase is, if we keep his commandments. And then verse 5 starts with, but whoever keeps his word. So those two phrases, verse 3, keep his commandments, in verse 5, keep his word, are actually communicating the same sort of thing. And what I mean by that is, Commandments we can pretty much find in Scripture, right? Where we're told to do this, where we're told not to do that. But what John says is it's not enough to keep or obey or to follow or to love God's commandments to us, but we should love his entire word. And so whenever we think about reading the Scripture, we should consider all of God's word, from Genesis to Revelation, to be his word that's designed for us to love, respect, and to obey we're not just to keep the commandments, we're to keep all of Scripture. If you're familiar with Awana, you probably uh, are familiar with this text. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verses 16 and 17. And I hope, even if you're not familiar with Awana, which is a discipleship program that our kids are doing and families are doing, some, <coughs> excuse me, in their homes and some here at the church building at different times of the week, we know that it's designed to help us get into God's Word. Look at what uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say. All Scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How does verse 16 start? With the words, all Scripture. So you can't pick and choose. You can't say, well, I really like the New Testament, but I really don't like the Old Testament. I, I really like the teachings of Jesus, but I could do without Paul's teachings. Like, we can't pick and choose. The Scripture is not a buffet line where we choose what we like and spit out the things we don't like. All of God's Word is inspired by God. All of it is profitable. All of it is for teaching and training and rebuking us. And therefore, all of it is to be obeyed. So love for God moves us to obey all of God's Word. I want us to look at the word keep. Look down in verse 3. It says, if we keep his commandments. Verse 4, does not keep his commandments. Verse 5, keeps his word. I, I could be overlooking one, but I think three times the word keep or keeps is, is in these three verses or four verses. And here's what the word keep means. Yes, it does mean obey. Like we could substitute the word keep and put in the word obey. We could say obey his commandments, obey his word. But the author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose to use a word that's not specifically the word obey. It's the word keep. And that word keep means obey, but it means more than just to obey. The word keep is actually kind of a military uh, type of word, and it means to guard. It means to protect. It, it means to see something as valuable. It means to see the treasure in something. And so what it's saying is that we see God's word as being valuable and good and right and for us and therefore we guard it with our very lives. Like we don't just seek to obey it. We love it so much that we are guarding it. Speaking of that, um, I played football back in the day and somebody asked me what position I played and I told them guard and they misunderstood it. They, they thought I sat on the end of the bench, guarded the water and tackled anybody that got near it. Never mind. All right. So uh, guarding what is valuable, we should protect it with our very lives. So if God's word is valuable to us, if we see the value in God's word, if we see the treasure that it is, then don't you think that that would cause us to step out and obey it? All too often, I think that we overlook the very fact that God's word is valuable. Like, we might see God's word as a, a, a good idea. We might see God's word as a, an interesting collection of stories, especially the Old Testament. My goodness, there's some like rated R stories in there about people getting killed. It's pretty exhilarating when you read it. You might think, well, Jesus' words are kind of nice. Like, he tells us to love all people, and he tells off a few people along the way as he does it. Like, we might just kind of get enamored by the storyline or the, 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 the ebb and flow of Scripture. But the reality is this. God's word is infinitely value, valuable. Because it's God's written word to us to reveal himself and his heart to us. 
Like God didn't just have them write things down at random. He had the, the, the authors, he was the author, but he had the, the, the men that wrote down those words, put down the very words so that we would see who he is. Once we see the value and worth of God's word, then we're going to seek to obey it. It's not just some old stuffy rules that we have to follow. Oh my goodness, do this, don't do that. I know it's in there. No, we should see the value of it. I know that people these days that are younger than me may not know this thing called snail mail, but back in the day, you didn't have the advantage of texting or email. I sound like an old dude now, right? So we didn't have all those things. Instead, we had, we had letters that we would write, okay? And if you got a letter from your significant other, the person you were dating or the person you're married to or the person that you really, really had a close friendship with, whoever that person is, that intimate relationship, whether romantic or otherwise, if you got a letter from them, you wouldn't look at it as if it's junk mail and toss it in the trash, right? Like you would spend time reading it, and, and, and especially if it's a romantic relationship, you are you, you, would, you would be excited by it, by it, right? You might even read it more than once. You would take it to heart. You would appreciate it. God's word to us is something that we should value, and therefore we should keep it, guard it, protect it, and obey it. Listen to these words. It comes from Psalm 119. I don't know if you've read Psalm 119 lately, but it's the longest book in the Bible. It's 176 verses long and all 176 of the verses are about how God is worthy of our worship and how his word is to be obeyed how his word is to be revered how his word is to be loved here's what Psalm 119 verse 97 says the author of this says oh how I love your law it is the meditation all day it is the meditation all the day so here's the deal When's the last time that your posture towards God and his word reflects the truth that's found here? Oh, how I love your law, God. How I love your word. And I meditate on it all the day long. If I'm not careful, I can have the wrong motivation to read these chapters that we're reading. I go, oh, my goodness, that's five chapters. I'm supposed to read this this week. I'm supposed to read chapters 4 and 5 of 1 John. I'm supposed to then read 2nd and 3rd John. And so I'm going to run through those things. I'm going to check it off my list. I can be the good little church boy. I can be the good pastor. I'm asking you all to read it, so I better read it too. I can check it off, and I can say, look, I've accomplished this. But will I slow down enough when I read God's Word that I don't gloss over it that I don't speed read through it, that I don't presume, oh, oh yeah, I already read that, yeah, I know that story, I'm going to just kind of read every other word. Or am I going to treasure God's word so much that I allow it to be meditated upon all the day long? You see, whenever we love God's word, then we will obey it. What about these words from Jesus? Jesus says that loving him and obeying him go hand in hand. Last week we looked at a portion of, of uh, John 15 
John 14 is in the same realm of what's going on in the life of Jesus. He's about to be arrested, and he's sharing kind of farewell words to his disciples. And here's what John 14 says. John 14, verse 15 says this. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Like, it's pretty straightforward. Like, there's not, well, what about this, Jesus? What about that? No, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So love for God necessitates that we obey his word. I know what some of you may be thinking, but Alan, like, I'm not perfect. Like, I don't have a flawless faith. Like, there are times that I don't obey God. What about those moments? What about those moments whenever I, I don't obey him? Look at verse 4. Jesus says, sorry, John, sorry. John says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So, this is a sticky verse. I want you to stick with me for a second to, to consider what it's saying and how we can live it out. John says that if we stand up and we say that we know God, that we love God, and yet we don't obey him, he calls us a liar. Again, from my parts of the world, them's fighting words. Like, you don't call me a liar. Like, maybe you say, I don't always keep my word, but don't call me a liar. John says, you are a liar. I am a liar whenever we don't obey God. So let's think for just a minute why that would be. I think what John is saying that is it's impossible to experientially know God and not love him. It's also impossible for us to love him and not obey him. And so to know God is not just a head knowledge of God. To know God is not just because somebody else told us that God exists. To know God is not because we've been through some religious ritual or activity. But to know God is an experiential knowledge where we know him intimately. And what John says is if you intimately know God, it's impossible for us not to love God. Him. And if we love him, it's impossible for us not to obey him. So if that's the end of the sermon, that's not a really rosy place to finish the morning. So back to that question. But Alan, what about those times where I don't obey God? What about those times where, where I'm not a perfect Christian? Like, what about even this morning? Like, we were leaving the house and I was... Uh, this is an illustration. This didn't happen. It has happened in the past, but not today. Uh, as leaving the house, I was arguing with my wife. Like, we argued all the way in the car, all the way here to church, and we were angry at each other. And then we came in, put our smile on. We act like everything's fine. Like, this morning, I didn't perfectly obey God. And so, are you calling me a liar? Are you calling me not a Christian? Does this somehow remove my faith? The reality is this Christians are not going to be perfect. You see, keeping God's word does not mean flawless, perfect, all-the-time obedience. Rather, it's about a trajectory 
of obedience. I, I use that word trajectory all the time. Last week during the new member class, one of our elders, Nathan, sat in on the class, and he used the word trajectory. So I, I think I'm good because uh, uh, Nathan uses some good vocabulary. So trajectory of obedience is what we're looking at. Think about a trajectory for just a minute. I don't know if you have money in the stock market or not, but in the stock market, let me ask the question, does our, do our funds always go up and to the right? No. Sometimes they do what? <laughs> down and to the right. Like we don't want to go down, but our stock market doesn't always go up. Not even in a bull market. A bull market's a good, favorable setting. It's not always moving in the right direction. But you better hope that your trajectory is going in the right direction. I've got a couple of slides to show you. I intentionally left off the dollar amount, but you're going to see this. Okay, this is, um, yeah, this is about 28 days worth of my stock market, my funds. Um, is that a good, a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, you can say it a little bit louder. It's a bad thing, right? Starts over here to the, to the uh, left pretty high, comes down here to the, to the right pretty low. Anybody see the dates on there? Anybody know what's going on right there? Uh, COVID showed up, right? <laughs> Stock market tanked. Let me just let you know that that represents a $40,600 loss over 28 days. We lost $10,000 a week, and that was not looking very good. Now, I want you to see the three-year mark. Now, you see the dip, right? It's pretty obvious where the dip is. Uh, a little over halfway to the right is a pretty significant dip. But you also see what the trajectory is? The trajectory is up and to the right. And so even with that $40,000 loss, we had over $100,000 gain in three years. Now, let's stop talking about my money for a second. But let's think about the trajectory. With a stock market, if you're always going down, then you're in the wrong fund. Like, if you're always going down, year after year after year, you're like, dude, I saw my five-year mark, and it's still going down. Get out of that fund. Do something different. Don't talk to me because I don't know where to put it. <laughs> but you want to be in a fund that traje the trajectory is going up. So in our lives of obedience towards God, if we're constantly tanking, never obeying God, always going down to the right, then maybe the words that John says about you is true. You claim to know God, but you're a liar. Because your lack of obedience shows that you're not really a follower of Jesus. But if your trajectory looks like that second image, then sure there's some ups and downs, right? But the trajectory is towards a life of obedience towards him. At the same time, what I'm not trying to do is be dismissive of sin. You can say, well, Alan said that I can tank some days. No big deal. Like, my trajectory's in the right direction. That's all that matters. No, no, it's still important what we do day to day. And so whenever we do sin, we are to confess or repent that sin each time. Look back uh, in chapter 1 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, it is very true that a follower of Jesus will have times and moments and maybe even short periods of time where we're not following closely and we're not obeying well. And so in those moments that we say, hey, I know Jesus and I'm not 
and yet your obedience is not there, then you're, you're, you're failing to live, to be living out, you're not living out the faith like you should be. Doesn't then all of a sudden make you not a Christian. However, if you're never obeying God, there's some things to question there. And in those moments where we do sin against God, we're to confess our sin to him. So my first um, point caused me to ask you the question, do I love God? This point, I have a couple of questions for you to ask of yourself. Again, don't just answer yes, no. Think about the context and, and more than just a yes, no. But the question is, do I love God's word? I'm not saying do you have a copy of God's Word. I'm not saying have you read God's Word. I'm not even saying do you read God's Word every day. I'm not asking if you study God's Word. I'm asking you do I love God's Word? And then right on the heels of that, do I have a desire to obey His Word? Because I think that if we love God and we love His Word, we by default will have a desire to obey God's word. If you're struggling with any kind of motivation to obey God's word, then that might be a sign that you don't really know God, that you don't really love God, that you don't really have an opportunity to love God's word. Our desire should be to obey God and to follow his word. So love for God is the motivation for discipleship. Love for God moves us to obey his word, and then the final point that you have on your sermon notes is this, that love for God results in walking as Jesus walked. Look at verse 6. It says, whoever says he abides in Jesus, remember last week we read John chapter 15, it's all about abiding in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. When we love God, when we love Jesus, and we spend time with him, it's natural that we begin to look like him. I meant to show this picture before I got to the text, but uh, I'm going to go back to it now. Look at this picture. Have you ever noticed that sometimes uh, dog owners end up looking like their dogs? And there's a few pictures right there. I, I don't know if those are legit uh, uh, dog owners or not of those dogs, but you can see how they begin to look like each other. And my point was going to be that whenever we spend time around other people or other animals or whatever, we begin to look and act like those that we're around. That's, that was my point. And then I was going to actually read the text, which I did a second ago. So let's get off that picture of the looking like the dogs. Whenever we love God, we end up walking as Jesus did. When we stick around him, whenever we abide in him, whenever we hang out with him, we end up acting and living like him. In verse 6, it says walk. We sang that uh, song a moment ago, when we walk with the Lord. Uh, this is not just talking about physically walking, but actually the scripture uses the word walk to refer to a pattern of, of, of living. Uh, the way we live our lives, a, a lifestyle. And that walking can be in the right direction or that walking can be in the wrong direction. And it says that we are to walk with Jesus, abide in him, and walk like he walked. Walking in the way that Jesus walked means to live as he lived. You can flip back to your left if you've got a Bible with you to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21, Peter talks about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. 
It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. See, whenever we love God, whenever we love his word, then love for God ends up resulting in us walking in the steps of Jesus in the ways that he walks. I want us to look at another word in verse 6. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Whoever says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way. What do you think the word ought means? I don't know what you said, but it's probably right, Lenny. What would you say? Supposed to, yeah, supposed to. And it's even stronger than that. That's the right answer, but it's even stronger than that. It's not just supposed to, but we're obligated to do it. Like we're bound to do it. In fact, the word ought here has the idea that a debt is owed and you have to pay the debt back. And so whenever Jesus forgives us of our sins, then we ought to walk as he walked. We're obligated, we're bound to, we're required to obey him. A follower of Jesus is obligated to obey Jesus and walk as he walked. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Alan. If we're obligated or bound or required to, what about your first point? I mean, your first point says that love for God is the, one that mo- is the thing that motivates us to discipleship. Yes, love is the motivation for us to obey Jesus, while also a love for God is obligating us to a life of obedience. It's actually both of those things. Both love and obligation are vital to our sanctification. You're like, what is sanctification? I'm glad you asked. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. So whenever we're saved, whenever we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we experience conversion or what we might call justification, to be made right with God. And then the day is coming whenever death comes or whenever the end of the world comes where we get to be in eternity in the glory of God. But in the in-between time, walking on this planet is a, a life of sanctification where we're called to become more and more and more and more like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And in that sanctification process of becoming more and more like Jesus, both love for God and an obligation to obey him, move us in the right direction. Here's why I think obligation and love are both required. If you walk out of here and you go, okay, I don't want to be called a liar. I say that I know Jesus, and so I want to obey him. And Alan talked a lot about it, so I'm going to go out and do this. If we go out only with obligation because we have to, because we ought to, because we're supposed to, then we end up turning into legalism, and we overlook the grace of God. But on the flip side, if all we do is say, hey, I'm supposed to obey God because I love him, but Alan said I'm not always going to obey him, and there's going to be those days where I don't obey him, and then we end up becoming an antinomianism, meaning that we are against the law. We kind of think, you know what, the law's there for a good idea, but it's all about grace, so it doesn't matter if I obey him or not. But the reality is we will end up turning it into cheap grace whenever we're not walking out in obedience. So with both love and obligation, we experience what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. So why should I obey God? Because I love him. And because of his salvation and my love for him, I am obligated, required 
necessitated to obey God. Again, I might sound like an older guy here when I say this, but it seems like every time, many times when I talk to younger generations, it's the idea of, well, God loves me, and I'm supposed to maybe follow him, and I'll try to, and maybe that's a good idea, and I'll do it when it's convenient, and, and if I feel like it, I'll read my Bible if I want to, but if I don't really want to that day, I'm not really going to read the Bible, like it's no big deal. But did you know that we are obligated? Don't lose sight of either one. Because they are not opposing. They are actually in it together. A love for God and his word, an obligation to God and his word. Both of those help us to experience what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. I'm going to use an illustration to kind of point that out. Before church this morning, Trish and I were talking about uh, my running and and uh, this week, somehow, someway, I ran like a quarter, uh, I told Ashley, I ran a half of a half a marathon. She looked at me and said, you do know that's a quarter of a marathon, right? Okay, I do. So I ran six and a half miles yesterday. And I run three or four times a, a, a week. My doctor is in the house, and, and, I, and I tell him at my, at my, at my uh, uh, physical, hey, Andrew, I'm trying to run, or doctor, doctor, I'm trying to run, and here's what I'm doing, and, and I'm obligated to run for my health, right? And he's nodding and says, yes. <laughs> but did you know that with running, I have both a love and a hate relationship with it? When it's 5 o'clock in the morning, I do not want to hop out of the bed put on my running shoes and hit the dark streets and run through my neighborhood. I don't want to. And if I stayed in that place where I don't want to run, I'd never get out the house. I would never run. And next year when I go see my doctor, I go, you know what? That was a, that was a fad. It lasted for a year. I'm not running anymore. <laughs> but then whenever I do start running, then that motivation begins to kind of change. And Ashley knows this about me. I can become competitive. And so when I have my, my headset in and I'm listening and, and the little voice is whispering in my ear how long it took me to run that mile, I go, oh, my goodness, I ain't doing too bad. I think I'm going to run a second mile. Uh, I think I'm going to run a third mile. And I'm able to continue to push myself because I'm now finding a motivation that's not just because I said I would do it. In my relationship with God, isn't that how it should be? Now, granted, I hope that every morning I get up and I want to read the Bible and obey God. Hopefully, it's not always going, I don't want to do it. I want to stay in the bed. I don't want to do this. But there will be days where I don't want to. And if I say, but I said I'm going to, I'm obligated to do it, then I'll begin to read God's word. I'll begin to pray that he'll work within me. And as I'm reading his word, a love for his word will begin to blossom all the more. Does that make sense? So if I'm just saying in my relationship with God, when it feels good to me, I'll obey God. Almost never. Because I'm going to say in the flesh, am I going to obey God? But if I say, you know what? I love God. I know that I love him. And, and, and I'm obligated to do this. I'm going to begin to do this today. Then those two things begin to work together. Love is what should motivate us to follow Jesus. But sometimes we just have to get up and obey him. And then you'll begin to experience that love for God as it flows out of you. As we finish up this morning, I want to look at three types of people in the world. And I want you to ask yourself, which one of these three am I? 
Here's the first type of person. There's the person who does not know God and they're willing to admit it. Or, or at least they don't know the Christian God. They may say, well, you know what, that Christian thing worked for you. I, I'm over here in this other belief system. But they would acknowledge they don't believe in the Jesus Christ that we preach and proclaim and is found in God's word. There is that segment of the population that does not believe in God and they're willing to admit it. And my question for you is this. Not necessarily that you're resistant to God, but you, you just don't have an interest in it. You're doing your own thing. You're just here because it's kind of a thing to do on Sundays or whatever. Is that you this morning? Would you like to come to know Jesus this morning? When you walked in the doors this morning, were you a person who doesn't really know Jesus? Would today be that day that you trust in him? The Bible tells us that all of us are sinners and we're we're, we're, we're not able to be in the presence of a holy, perfect God. But the good news is this, that Jesus, the Son of God, came and walked on this earth and lived the perfect life, and he died for our sins, that if we would place our faith and our trust in his death, not only his death, but also that he was buried, and three days later he was raised again to new life, whenever we trust in that, that we can experience salvation. So would that be you this morning? There's a second group of people in the world and that is those individuals that know God and they truthfully proclaim their love for God like you know God you're obeying God you're not perfect but your trajectory is in the right direction you're consistent in your walk with Jesus that you are proclaiming the knowledge of God to yourself living it out and you're telling others about Jesus see whenever we love something we talk about it I don't love football, but I really, really, really like it. I don't love running, but I'm beginning to really, really like it. Like, I do love my wife and my kids. Like, the things that interest us, the things that we love, the things that we're involved in should naturally come out of our mouths. And so whenever we love Jesus, then it should become natural for us to begin to proclaim that love for Jesus to others. And then there's a third set of people in the world, and that is this. Those who claim to know God, but according to what John says, they're liars. Those who claim to know God, but they are liars. My question for you is, is it possible that you're in this final bunch of people? If John were here this morning and he was talking to you and observing you, and you said you know Jesus, would he turn to you and say, but you are a liar Perhaps this morning you need to repent of sin. You need to repent of lack of obedience. You need to confess sin to him and begin to live a life of obedience. I'd encourage you to repent of specific, particular sins. Not just sin in general, but is there a sin, several sins, are there particular sins in your life that you need to confess to the Lord this morning and say, I'm tired of living a life of disobedience. I'm tired of living a life of lying to God, and I want my sins forgiven. Return to your love, Jesus. In order to do that, we need to put some disciplines back in our life. We need to love God by praying to him. We need to love God by studying his word. We need to love God by gathering in, in a place together with other believers. We need each other. We need to do life together. That's why we have hope groups. That's why we have discipleship classes. That's why we have discipleship groups, D groups. All of these are opportunities for us to do life together. But I 
challenge you this morning that if you are claiming to know God and yet you're not obeying him, then today is the day to do business with God and repent of those sins. John says in verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Are you keeping his commandments? I'm going to pray in just a moment as I do. We're going to sing a song or two as a church family. And in that singing, it's an act of worship to God. It's an act of response. And I would encourage you, do not walk out the back doors during this time. Allow God to do his work within you. And if there is sin you need to confess of, sin you need to repent of, then you may need to do that right there at your seat. You may need to do that here at the altar. You may need to come and share that with me so I can pray alongside of you. But if we say that we know and love God, then we will obey him. Let me pray for us.